0: welcome to behind the dm screen it is october of 2022 we are three dms helping each other out and talking about our games or something like that it's been a minute since we've recorded Uh, actually my notes say it's been we only missed one month but here we are So, I am Jeff Griner. With me, as always, is, well, as usual, I guess I should say, is Mike Shea. Say hi, Mike. Hey,
1: how's everybody?
0: And also Sam Dillon. Hello. All right. So, we are going to talk about our games. We're going to help each other out. We're going to put 15 minutes on the clock, and we are going to stick to it.
2: And who's going first?
0: Uh, Mike is first on Woo! the list. So, 15 minutes further. on the clock. Ready?
1: Go. Go. I am running... Four different games? I think four different games. Uh, Three regular. I am running uh, two new Kobold Press campaigns. I am running a brand new Scarlet Citadel game. We had our Session Zero last Sunday where they built characters and we talked about what we were doing, but we didn't even start. This is the first time I've run a Session Zero we didn't do anything in the world yet. And I'm running Empire of the Ghouls, which I've now... I'm I'm a good number, like six or seven sessions into at this point. So I am diving deep into Kobold Press uh, settings and adventures. I am pouring myself into the world of Midgard. I have like a stack of like 14 or 16 different Kobold Press books that I am squeezing information out of to kind of fill out these campaigns. So it's not like I'm just grabbing Empire of the Ghouls and running with Empire of the Ghouls. I am, in fact, uh, uh, really digging into like... 12 angry towers and i think it's 12 peculiar towers but i like 12 angry towers better uh <laughs> all the the, the 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 various tomes of beasts and creature codices the uh all of like the books of layers eldritch layers underground layers all the layer books that they have uh they have a great book called demon cults and secret societies i'm using that so i'm really and of course the midgard world book and i'm really diving into the world midgard world book and i've got like Southlands, but they're not going to Southlands for a little while. But one thing about *Empire of the Ghouls*, if you guys aren't familiar with it, is that it really is like the um, Storm King's Thunder of Midgard. It goes everywhere. It is a huge, wide-spanning adventure. It goes all over the place. And the first chapter is set in this, the the city of Zobek. Zobek is sort of the central hub of Midgard. It's kind of the the main city that you know, the the capital city. It's like the Sharn of 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 um, Midgard. And um, that whole first chapter exists there. You're going into the undercity. You're going and you know dealing with some politics up above. There's a lot of neat things, and so it was a really good, fun chance to run that city. Then chapter two, you travel like 600 miles north. You you go on this like 20 day journey. Uh, to you know, ba- based on a prophecy, like the the um, the characters receive a prophecy from the the tower or from the the temple of Rava, which is like the clockwork god, and which I is like a fax machine, I think. it's like a fax machine that spits out a fax that says, go tr- go six hundred miles north and pick up this weird ass artifact. And you're like, okay, she has spoken. So that was actually fun. That was like this, you know, crazy, like, you know, gear, gear forged woman who doesn't ever move, but there's like a slot in her chest. And out of the slot comes a parchment that has like, they're like, does it have the little dots, like the little tear off things on the sides? I'm like, yep, definitely. It's like a dot matrix printer. That
2: old dot matrix printer. Dot matrix
1: printer that tells you where your adventure is going to be. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I, I, I think that I've got like some interesting stuff, but a tricky bit for me. And I think it's a tricky bit in general. It's kind of one of these like, huh, but you know, like I've been playing a fair bit of D&D. I should know how to do this is overland travel, how to handle lots of overland travel. It's one thing when you're going to like one city and you can just sort of montage your way between one city and another. And you can always montage it. And the book says, you know, just montage it. Like, don't you're not going to run like day two. It was, was kind of raining and you, your food got spoiled. So I know Sam likes adventures like that. But, I you know, I don't know if I want to run an adventure all like that. So but the big so then my 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 usual go to alternative for this are point crawls and for a point crawl you would say like okay i know what they're where they're starting and i know what their general destination is but what are like three different paths that they could take or a number of different paths and then what do the what interesting locations do those paths connect to what are those paths? Are they like, a, you know, you can go through the forest on on game trails and kind of avoid the main road, or you can travel along the shore of a nearby river instead of taking the road, or you can go on the main road. It's really like what you want to do. But in this case, you look at it, it's like there's really just the main road. Like there's no, there's, you know, every every other alternative will take you a week or more longer. And you don't, it's not like you're being chased, you know? So I, I think like you can break down. Mm-hmm. You could you could break down point crawls and say like well you know the first few legs of the journey are just a straight path but then after that you might be going into dangerous territory and at that point you might have some meaningful choices about about where you're where you want to go, but then I was like well how the hell am I going to make this interesting like how am I going to make this this journey interesting and then I thought I tried to break it down and think like. Well, what makes such things interesting? Like, what, what, and it's choices, right? It's about like what are the meaningful choices? What are the things that characters can do, and the choices they can make at any particular leg of the journey? And so, I, I, I the, the, in my, in my game currently, probably the next session is when they're going to begin this journey. They, they got the prophecy, um, then they went to activate a portal to the realm, to the, to the, uh, one of the leyline shadow roads. Uh, so they have another they, they have a path back where they don't have to take three weeks. They they can they can find a portal out in the distance, use this artifact they picked up, go to the shadow roads and walk the shadow roads. It's like a two day journey and they know the way and they have this little ball that helps guide them back to the portal that they picked. Um, Because I was thinking like, well, maybe the shadow road is one of the paths. That's the alternative solutions. Like maybe they go to the shadow road and then it's a shorter path, but it's a little bit more random and it's dangerous and they, they're they're not native to it. So they don't know what's going on or the far safer but far longer path that they normally take and i did give them that option but i was also like i just ran wild beyond the witch light i don't want to have like hey you just got to midgard but we're not doing midgard you're going into the shadow realm and there's all those other crazy twisted towers and stuff i want to add that i want to do that stuff but i don't i don't want to do it i don't want to do it right away so um So I thought about doing like, oh, yeah, you have the shadow road that you could take. You have the main road you could take. But I'm like, I don't want to do another zany, like Feywild thing right away. I'll do that later. and But I want them to enjoy Midgard. I want them to enjoy like what it's like walking around the town and meeting farm folk and getting involved in stuff. So then I'm like, well, I guess what I'll do is build individual encounters that are along the way. I'll have the big... I'll basically do a point crawl, but it's one line. And it says, like, here are the major locations that they're going to go to. I, I picked, like, the one paragraph description of that location right out of the Midgard World book so I can describe it to them and say this is what it's like. And then I'm going to say, like, and here's, like, a situation that occurs. So an example, I was reading about one of the locations, and it was, like, this this town, which is, like, I forget, you know, it's a couple days journey from Zobek. Uh, is allied with Zobek and does a lot of dealing, and they have two different gods, Rava and Varnoth or something like that. And they believe, the people of this town generally believe that Varnoth and Rava are actually married. And that, that is considered heretical to both the church of Rava and the church of Varnoth. So they believe it, but no one else does. And I was like, wouldn't it be interesting? And then they're also heading to the dwar- what they call the dwarf catons, right? That these these dwarf sort of, you know, these these sort of small city-states of dwarves. And they're heading that there also. And the, the, the dwarves of the katons can be really stubborn pains in the asses. So I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if like a, a dwarf from the dwarf Catons that's a traveler came to this town and and heard a one of the local priests talking about the marriage and the joint of varnath Varnath and Rava? And like, was ready to beat him up, or was ready to have his mercenaries that he hired, which is like this all female mercenary group, you know, I forget, called like the Silver Hammers or something. He's like, you go beat them up, go, go scar him, like put a V on his forehead to because of his sacrilegious nonsense. And then the characters can get involved and do something, right? Maybe they'll fight the mercenaries. Maybe they'll convince the mercenaries not to do it. Maybe the mercenaries don't really want to do it. You know, like, scarring a priest is never. You know, like thing that people, but they maybe one of them, maybe some like, yeah, we get the scar priests, and the other one's like, no, that's a really bad thing to do. So it's like a situation, right? And my my thought is that for like each of these paths of the road, like every every two, three, four days of journey, I'll say like you travel for a journey, it rains some days, you move on. Here's this new town. Here's what's going on in the town, and then here's this situation you stumble into, and this and the situation will have all of the. Pillars. It's you can learn about Rava and Varnoff. You can learn about what the dwarf captains are like. You can role play with the characters. You can punch people in the face. You can do all the different things that you would want to do in D game. All all of those options are available for each of these like scenes that sort of take place as the journey goes on. But what I'm struggling with is like is that a, a is that a good fun way to go? What are the best practices for handling large amounts of overland travel in a way that's fun? Mm-hmm. I will throw that over to you guys.
0: So I I think a lot of what you've talked about is the the obvious sort of things that I would do, right? You know, uh, Out of the Abyss has tons of underland travel, I guess. Yeah, right. But it was, I mean, it was, was, by the end of the campaign, it was like 80 to 100 days Mm -hmm. of just travel right and i yeah. i for the first leg of it for the first like 20 days i ran it more or less as it was with the random encounters to make a point because you're low level the underground is, the under dark is dangerous whatever right um I don't know that you need to make that point in this situation. Right. They didn't wander into the underdark. They're
1: not going no. into the enemy's territory. Yeah, there are, there are some like they're right on the edge of a place called Morgaw, which has right. been taken over by vampires and stuff. Right. And when they get closer to there. Then I think it's going to be like more dangerous. They'll be like,
0: I think what you're doing is probably how I would handle that. You know, hand wave some some, I guess, little mini montages in the in between. You went from here to there. I might ask some for I might do some. Some role-playing prompts. I like to do. I like to start my campaigns with opening questions, right? Sure. So I, I might have some opening questions about, like, oh, on this leg of the of the journey, you had an interesting conversation with another PC. What did you talk about? Play that out for me. Or on this leg of the journey, you ran into this this random traveler on the road that got your attention. Who were they? What what happened? You know, and and just do stuff like that to sort of fill in the gaps. Uh, and then the thing I would think about with your your single point lines. Mm -hmm. Um, with your events is I would be thinking about, okay, but what are the, how can I use this to further or hint at the narrative of the larger campaign? So Mm -hmm. what could I be, you know, what refugees could they be running into? What events could, could sort of spiral out as like, you know, the dragon goes here and then it chases the orcs out of here and that chases the kobolds out of there. And now they're, the kobolds are stealing bread from the local village, you know, that, what kind of Mm -hmm. weird, like, five steps removed kind of stuff might be happening in these villages that relate to the larger story of empire of the ghouls so then it's not just let's do some interesting things to 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 learn more about the interesting setting of midgard which it does that too but then it's also furthering the story what what little element can i you know maybe it's not even that's maybe it's just like there's there's one cultist and he has this piece of this mysterious message on a piece of parchment or whatever. I, I may not even know exactly what it means at this point in the campaign, but it's it's a it's a little hook and it's tied to something to do with the dark cool or whatever.
2: Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's good. Suggestion. So are they level one when you're starting? No, they, they're
1: now fourth level. So they because okay. they, they just did the whole first chapter in Zobek, So they, they okay. got up to they just got fourth level.
2: OK, so um, one of the things that uh, the thing about travel that's hard is um, it's supposed to take time. And so, it's for me. Like when people say, "Oh, just hand wave it," like that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Because, and I know you're not saying that, but like that's often a piece of advice, right? Oh, if you don't enjoy that part of the game, just hand wave it. But the thing is, if you, if you hand wave, you know, thirty days of travel. Mm-hmm you're losing something, right? You're losing the the idea of the passage of time, that the world is going on while they're making this journey. And I like your idea about, you know, several points along the way, they run into different things that they have to deal with that aren't necessarily directly connected to the overall story arc. It's just getting them to know the world and how the people in that world interact with each other and stuff like that. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I would say is... What I was going to say was, if they're low level, they need to be get to know, getting to know each other too. And so, right. you know, it could yep. be that what you need to do is, along with, you know, so instead of just going boom, 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 here are these three things that happened at these three different towns a week apart or whatever, you can say, okay, if on one of them they run into that thing like with the dwarf and the you know there's this you know th- there's a big discussion in this town and what are they going to do and how can the party help and all that but mm-hmm. then the, the next leg of the tour so to speak you could ask them to like talk you know what what did you guys learn about each other this mm-hmm. trip like what like what what did you learn about about this other character that that you didn't know already even though you're fourth level and you've been hanging out in the town like what did you learn about the family members what did you learn about their fighting style what did you learn about their belief system like if if you go into that if, if you have that encounter with the with the dwarf and the and the two deities that are married but not married, and there's a there's a sort of a, you know, there's a problem here. Well, may are any of the characters? Do they have any kind of deific relationships? Even if they're not, you know, if there's a cleric and they're not, they don't worship those two gods. They could actually be offended by, you know, a heretic starting to spread, and they they might actually respond to that, even though it's not their deity. And you know, so it's like, what did you learn about yourself at that? What what are the other players learning about those characters? And so, like, maybe do that so that they've form a stronger bond between them as they're traveling because that's what would happen is you know i mean when you think about something like uh, i hate to use the cliche story but okay let's look at the lord of the rings it's all travel Mm -hmm. but what happens during that travel well sometimes there's an event but a lot of times it's just them talking to each (laughs) other Right. right they're just learning about each other and telling stories and and like i'm not saying you should do that necessarily in your D game because that's a book and it's a different media but you can do something like it yeah where you, absolutely you allow the the party to to really get to know each other right? yeah
1: i was i was thinking about the scene like from the time they leave brie to the time they get to um uh what is it called not not not, Har- not harrow Top. what's the 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 tower the tower where they fight the wraiths has a name Mountaintop or something like that, mm-hmm. and um during that journey, there's like the apple scene, right? Where they're like, I, you know, we've had first breakfast, yes, but what about second breakfast, right? And and then there's that there's a scene. It's actually cut from the main movie, but it's in the extended edition where they're sleeping, and Aragorn is just smoking and singing, and he's singing in Elvish, and. Bill or Frodo wakes up and he's like, "Who are you singing about?" And he says, "It's about this elfin princess who fell in love with a mortal." And he says, "Well, what happened? What happened?" Because she died, right? And it's like that. It's like two sentences long and completely defines his whole character with Arwen. Right, And why he's choosing what he chooses, so why he hands her the 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 you know, the little necklace back. and how what what all of that means. That whole thing is captured in those two lines. And in d and d, the way you can do that is something that like I called campfire campfire Tales, which is exactly when you have like what the characters are taking a long rest. And I actually stole this from Darkest Dungeons, right? Darkest Dungeons mm-hmm. does this in their little video game where, they you're resting and all of the characters have like one sentence that they say about like what's going on and and not trusting one of the other characters. And they have all these sort of things that kind of define who they are and how they relate to what's going on. And I've, I've used it and it works really well Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like stars and wishes, but it's stars and wishes for the characters, not the players. So you're saying like, you know, while you're, you, you know, you're sitting here, it's a calm night, the stars are up, the moon is there. What, what, you know, in this situation, how do you feel about what has been going on up to this point, or what does it remind you about from your background, or how do you feel about what's coming in the in the in the you know what you think is coming ahead? Like what? And you can kind of ask those prompts, and then the players will say like, "This reminds me of the time I was hunting with my sister." And you're like, "Ah!" And it's it's just gold, right? You just write that shit right in your, you know, right in your character bios because it's it, you're learning right. about them. So yeah, that idea yeah. of like, you can use these travel scenes to teach them about the world you can use it to teach them about the story that's going on that's something you guys suggested uh you can and you can learn about them right and then there's this other thing of like build situations that give them meaningful choices that ideally are built around the three pillars so they have different ways that they can interact with it based on what they feel like
2: doing all very good right but also the whole, the whole reason that I even suggest this is that the word meaningful, right? Like, right. how does the DM, like you, You okay, if you've been playing with these players and these characters and they're already fourth level, but how does a DM who's new and fresh to this, yeah. how do they figure out what's going to be meaningful to the players and to the characters? Well, that's yeah. part of how, is you learn what that player is thinking that their character is thinking sure and what's important to that character but,
1: yeah you don't you don't have to limit the first level you could do it every well, few, you know two right, or three levels I, right i yeah, did it I've, a lot in my new manara yeah, game and they always yeah. and they changed
2: their their perceptions yeah. of the world changed as they went right. it was really fascinating right yeah. So I think you can just incorporate that right into the travel instead yeah. of waiting for the campfire tail time. You mm-hmm. can actually, OK, you're leaving. You're going to be going on this. You know, it's going to take you three days to get to the next, you know, checkpoint, basically, right. whatever the next landmark is. Right. What are you doing during those three days? Like what yeah. what's happening? I know, OK, one of you is going to be like very vigilantly watching to make sure you don't get ambushed. Right. To, Jump by right, ogres.
1: Right, yeah.
2: right. But but at the same time, it's not like you're just silent the whole time. Right. right. You're never talking to each well, other. Right.
0: You're and never that's more or less what i was saying Uh, i would only i would have done it with my i would do it with my opening question right so i might skip from this point to that point you know uh and and do the the events right but then i would go back in retrospect at the beginning of the next session and say okay well we just finished this thing in this in this village with the two gods and they're married or they're not or whatever right and the heretics and all that but it took you several days to get here what did you do? What did you talk about? Tell me a tale, you know, or I might even I might even lean into some of those prompts. I mean, the first time it might be just be who did you talk to? What did you talk about? Right. But that prompt is going to get stale pretty quick. Um, Right. But then it might be like, hey, the, the next time you were on the road and you ended up camping with a local bard who, who offered to sing you a, sing you a song for letting him so, share a camp with you. What mm-hmm. song did you request? And why is that important to, you know, and so, you know, I, I would fill it <laughs> out with things like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, last and thing, was not, yeah. one, one other thing along with asking the players, what their characters like that sort of thing, like what song did you request and all that, which is awesome. But like also what does your character want to know about this other character?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Like that. And then, And then maybe the other character doesn't want to actually say yet, but the DM is madly writing that down or typing it, right, in the notes so that you can figure out what you could press on to maybe make that thing get revealed, Mm -hmm. right? Because maybe the answer – the reason that the person, the player doesn't want to reveal it yet is maybe they haven't really thought about it and they don't know. Right. So. If you can but now it's in their brain, right? Now they now they might think about it. And so then later if it actually there comes a time when that could come up again, they might jump at the chance to let it get revealed, right? You can use it as downtime.
1: Right. Right. That that you can think of it as like, but it's a different kind of downtime though, because it's not like you're in a town and you have all this options. It's like you're traveling. And and just like I found with any downtime, it really helps if you're like here are here are some examples of things you might do, and maybe here are some I've looked at your characters, and here maybe are some options that your characters might do. Not, not that I'm telling you you're doing them, but to give you ideas. And then usually they go, oh, I don't want to do that, but I do want to do this. Anyway, right. perfect, right? Yeah. So so that idea of like moving movable downtime, right? Like downtime scenes that are taking. Yeah. And I, I now I'm now flooded with ideas. You guys Good. have Good you time. guys have poured them over me, and I'm swimming <laughs> and floating. (laughs) in a sea of awesome ideas so thank you for that great
0: all right well before we move on to sam's time i do want to let people know if you want to support the show you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash the tome show uh like many other wonderful patrons have uh over the years and that helps me pay the bills that keeps the show going so um i appreciate any support you can give even if it's a dollar a month so sam i am gonna put 15 minutes on the clock for you
2: Awesome. So uh so I I I ran a couple of games last weekend for a virtual convention called Virtual Greyhawk Con which uh, has been going on for 2 or 3 years now. And um and of course it's Virtual Greyhawk Con so it's all in Greyhawk. Uh, but I ran a couple of uh, of, of games of uh, of my own design. Well, I mean, it was it was Castles and Crusades, but the the adventures were of my own design, and um, I had play tested them the weekend before, and so um, I just want to uh, expound for a moment about the value of play testing for our <laughs> audience. That play testing is so valuable for an adventure that is because you know the the, it's a virtual con and so i streamed the games and it's players i don't know right because it's a con it's a con right and so anybody could sign up and then the spots are filled and whatever so having a play test having the ability to play test that with people i did know ahead of time was just completely invaluable Mm -hmm. um because, and, and also actually, so about half and half, the playtest was half and half, half people I knew and half people I didn't yet. Um, but, I mean, it was just absolutely invaluable, especially for a con game. So, I guess the whole reason I'm bringing this up is that playtesting is great no matter what, but because I was running it for a con, one of the things it made me do was try to get my timing better and try to you know set some things up a little bit differently so that it was more exciting and you know just different things like that. and it was absolutely invaluable. So I just want to give a really huge shout out to my play testers and to my players at the at the con itself uh, and say a great big thank you because that was like the most awesome process that it could have i mean it made the adventures the best they could be at that moment because they would not have definitely would not have been as good if i had not play tested them with that group of people so uh if anybody is planning on publishing anything or running something at a con i highly highly recommend that you play test it beforehand even if it's not even something you wrote if you're running it at a con run it first with other people so that you can see how it goes and where the pitfalls are and where the where the issues might be in terms of timing because that ends up being one of my issues
0: mm-hmm.
2: because I usually run campaigns and I'm a campaign type of player and it's not that I've never run a one-shot or that I don't like them or anything like that. It's just that for my standard fantasy game, I run campaigns and so I'm used to a sort of flow of time that is long form, right? If the, if the players want to go off and investigate something else this session that I didn't necessarily know, I wing it and we go and they do it and it's in my homebrew world and so that works, right? But in a con, <laughs> you can't do that because it's a specific four-hour time slot and you're doing it and if you want to see the thing with it is if you don't finish it's unsatisfying Mm -hmm. so if you let them do whatever i should speak for me if i let them do whatever because that's more my style is well what do you do you know you're you're I am asking the players, what are you doing? What are your characters doing, right? Um, that's how I generally work in my home game, right? So you can't do that in a con game or I can't do that in a con game because then I'm not pushing them, right? But there's this weird line between where are you pushing them and it feels like you're totally railroad them, railroading them, right, versus pushing them because you need to have certain time points to get to the end before the end of the session you don't want to have to end and say well we didn't finish so you don't get to get the big reveal or you don't get to learn the secret or whatever it is right um and so that's something that the playtest helped with because it taught me okay here's how much i really have to cut out right uh but also it reminded me oh yeah i do that this is this is one of the reasons why I don't run a lot of con games is because I'm used I'm not used to that timing, and it's very difficult for me to adjust to that. And I don't we finished and the games went well and all that stuff, but I'm just sort of really just talking about running games now. Um but yeah, so it was a really great experience. It was super duper fun. It was really awesome to run. A, it's been a while since I've run a game other than fifth edition. Uh, and I haven't run a game regularly for a while now, so it was really super fun to do it. And I and all the players had fun. They all told me they did anyway. And so it was it was really awesome. The playtest was really awesome. And you know, I learned stuff about myself and about my 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 gming style, stuff that I some of it I knew and some of it I didn't know until then. Um. So you know, I also want to encourage people to run at a con, right? Go run a game at a con. You know, and it's gonna it's gonna teach you different things about your style and what you do and how things work in your brain and how things work in other people's brains that maybe you haven't had yet, right? And that's gonna improve your game. Um, so yeah. Uh, otherwise, can I can I, I, also, can I just share yeah, an experience yeah, that's based on, on what you were talking about? Yeah, you know, I've
1: played. I've, I've I've played in lots of con games and i can't bang the drum enough on what you've said there's probably the two things when i think back about games that i've played in that i didn't like and when i was going to conventions i started keeping track and about half of the games that i would sit in i didn't really enjoy and and then half of them i did and 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 probably the two things that would that were the you know the two biggest problems that i ran into number you know this number one was timing by far, by far. And it was just people couldn't, you know, it was really hard to stay on track. And what would invariably happen is the, the GM would feel like, well, I have to run what's in this module. So I'm going to run it. And then they would hit the end and they'd be like, sorry, we're out of time. So you're not going to fight the black dragon. We'll just say you did it. And I'm like, if you're already skipping. So they're like, well, I have to play the mod. And you're like, you didn't, you just skipped it. How about skip the boring crap in the middle? Right. Like just go, exactly go, right. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. so I really if if you are playing in an event like I'm this weekend, I'm I, there's uh, Wizards of the Coast is doing their big starter set thing at game shops and I'm volunteered to go run a game at one of the, at my local game shop. And like, I, you know, but it's a four hour event. Right. It's got four hours. And I'm like, OK, I, I think I know how much I could get in four hours. I'm going to prepare for half that. Like, I'm going to, I'll have that material, but I'm going to say, what if it was only two? What would I run? And a big one is like, what are the things you absolutely have to do in this adventure? And probably the final scene is one of them. So you should like, you set a timer on your phone and say like, at, you know, at one hour before the end of the event, my alarm is going to go off. And if they're not at that scene, I need to get them there right now so that they can enjoy this final scene. And skip everything in between because it's it's so much worse. The other the other one is antagonist DMs, DMs that are DMs that are there to get you, sure. rather than you know help help facilitate a really fun story. But yeah, boy, I cannot
2: hammer that one enough. Many many really yeah. good DMs who have a lot of trouble with the timing for for timed events. Yeah, and the thing is, so like what I and I knew I would have trouble with the timing, so I was really hyper vigilant about in the playtest making sure that I was trying to do it like I would do it during the actual con right and and of course failed miserably because i what because <laughs> it was the playtest and i wasn't sure right right uh, but also like yeah just the idea of uh you know if you can't finish that's the dm's fault yes right yeah if it's right. a con game right yep. if it's a con pacing, game pacing is that, critical that's the dm's fault yeah and The thing is, like the and and I don't mean that as like you know it happens to everybody, right? Like that, it's a lesson that has to be learned. Yeah, I've done it.
1: I've done it many times. Yeah, I've done it before too. (laughs) And
2: I and I want and because I've done it before and I knew that I had that and I know that I'm a more of a long form DM and I'm a very sandboxy DM. So it's really hard for me to really direct the like I have to practice doing that because it's just not my natural modus operandi, right? I just don't normally do it, and so. But yeah, like the whole thing is if you get to the end and you didn't get to finish, that's so unsatisfying for the players. It's yeah. just really, really unsatisfying. So what I did was I wrote out literally kind of like what you said, where there's an alarm, right? But I didn't make an alarm. I just wrote out like, okay, here's how much time I want to spend on this section. And here's how much time I'm going to spend. And I, and I gave I gave a little intro about the game and because it's not D&D, it's Castles and Crusades. And I gave a little intro about using Albert Rodeo because that was the platform we were using. And I gave a little intro about how we're streaming. And so if there's a technical difficulty, you know here's what you do, and whatever and then and then okay so now i'm going to spend this much time on that i'm going to ask players if they have questions i'm going to let them introduce their characters and i know how much time i'm going to spend on that and then okay now part one i want to spend this much time part two this much time part three this much time and i have little checkpoints in there if we hit this and i've gone past this time i need to stop I need to cut it here and give them the info so they can move to the next thing rather than making them go through those next three steps to get that info that they need to go to the next major piece, right? And just having that on one piece of paper, not extensive notes, just like if I hit this time point, I put a check mark next to it. If I hit this time point, I put a check mark. And if I get to the point where I've hit the one where it's almost going to take too long, I know I can got to cut out that and I structure it so that I can cut that middle stuff out and give them the last piece of information so they can go to the next thing. And that was critical to me being able to keep everybody on track and still feel like I could let them do what they want to do. I don't feel like I railroaded the characters in the in the game. So that's good for my mental health, right? Like the DM has to be having fun too. And I know if I'm going to sit in a game and feel like I'm really railroading those players, I'm not going to be having a good time, mm-hmm. right? just to get to point A to point B to point C, I'm not going to be having a good time because it's just so far from my style that it's just not going to work for me. Right. But, you know, there is a reason why a lot of those early tournament modules were competitions and were, okay, you're starting at the door of the dungeon, right? Like, Mm -hmm. here's your start, and the goal is to get as far as you can without dying, and if you do, you move to the next set, And then your goal there is to get as far as you can without dying. And then you get to the championship round and whoever survives is the one, right? Like that or the team, right? And because you didn't have to do any of the – you could just read them a paragraph about here's how come you're standing at the door of the dungeon rather than – more like today's style where you're not necessarily starting at the door of the dungeon you're saying okay well you're in this town because you heard these rumors and you're trying to investigate this and you're doing you know it's much more kind of elaborate more storytelling there and it's much harder to pace right right so it's difficult it's difficult um but i had a hell of a time it was really really super fun it was awesome and my players all said they had a good time so that makes me happy that they all had a good time right um and so yeah so that so that was really good also, I'm I have been um, animatedly speaking with our buddy Brandis Stoddard, um, friend of the Tome Show, uh, my co-host for Edition Wars, going over the latest playtest packet for One D and D, um, and recording some episodes this week, which we will release. Well, by the time this gets released, they'll have already been released. But so you get to hear our thoughts on that. Um, so that's really exciting. That's what I'm doing in fifth edition d d land. Um, I'm also still going through the Pathfinder second edition core book and kind of I'm making videos about it and talking about it and deciding if I really like it as much as I think I like it. And I actually joined a game so I could play a few sessions so I could get it from the player's seat rather than just reading it, you know, um, so that's. It is really fun. It's very different from fifth edition. Um, There's a lot of things I like about it. It it has these elements that remind me of fourth edition, um, but that aren't problematic. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of things I really liked about fourth edition, but that kind of had problems by the time a couple levels went by, right? And uh, (laughs) Pathfinder two doesn't seem to have that at this point. So um, it's very very tight, and it's really 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 cool um so i'm super enjoying that um and so that's kind of what my gaming life is my my fifth edition temple of elemental evil game is on hiatus because uh, my teenage players went back to school and their their parents rule is no gaming during school you know you have to have at least a three-day weekend to game so um and so that's so yeah so did i did i finish on time or early probably not right
0: (laughs) i think you are you have two minutes
2: Two minutes. What are you going to do with all that time? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't even know what to say. I will cede my time to Mike and Jeff. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Good, (laughs) because I've got stuff to to deal with. So Um, with Sam's time finished early. I want to remind people that if you want to hang out with us, uh, we are on the social medias. The the Tome Show is on Facebook. The Tome Show is on Twitter. We have a Discord. You can find the link to it on our Twitter, which is at the Tome Show. Um, Do we have other social medias anymore? I don't know. I think that more or less covers it. So, with that said, I will start the 15-minute clock for myself now. So... I realized looking back at my notes that, boy, it's been a minute um, since we chatted. <laughs> uh, I think the last time we talked, my report was that my players had left Baldur's Gate and were in Candlekeep and our Descent into Avernus game. Um, and then I was pulling, I don't remember what the, oh, Sheshames uh, Rhyme or something from Candlekeep Mysteries, and I ran that. When they were while they were in Candlekeep, just to add a little bit of extra flavor to to Candlekeep, um, I stole some ideas from the there was a Candlekeep book that um, Alex Kramer and Ed Greenwood, and I think Teos worked on it, and some other folks worked on it uh, that has an alternative. Format for what happens in Candlekeep instead of going off to um, the one wizard's tower out in the middle of the ocean and meeting Lulu there and being um, plane shifted to um, El Torell. I mashed up a little bit of that idea and mashed up a little bit of the idea from that Candlekeep book. And instead there was a conclave of wizards including that one who's in the in the shape of a was he a ferret or a weasel or something? He got polymorphed at one point and decided he liked it. And so he just stayed <laughs> that way. Um, and Lulu was there at the Conclave, uh, which was more like the original. Because in the Candlekeep book um, version, they don't meet Lulu until they like get to the portal that goes to elterel She just happens to be there hanging out in the woods where this portal is. Um, but I like them meeting her earlier. Um, for those who don't know, Lulu is a, a, is a cute little... Beach ball of a of a golden ele- flying golden elephant that um, used to hang out with Zerial and is sort of the uh, the exposition delivery system for for the entire campaign,
2: but also has a faulty memory and is very cute, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, so then they they went off to uh, the fields of the dead where the original portal was that the the demons and devils were coming through that led to the Hellriders going there with Zerial to begin with, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever. Um, and they used that portal. Had to deal with a unicorn that was basically geest to, to be there. Um, but I I did make – I dropped some hints at that point that th- they, that unicorn talked about their mate um, and how their mate um, – is lost in Avernus and um, made a bad deal a long time ago and has been hiding out, actually polymorphed into the form of a statue in Waterdeep for some time now, trying to avoid having to to pay up its side of the deal, which was relevant because that unicorn statue appeared in the previous campaign. So I was hinting at that little cameo, but then there's a and now and that that unicorn, the mate is the um, is the unicorn that appears in Avernus uh, that powers the Demon Zapper contraption. Um, there's a unicorn trapped there. So if they happen to go to the Demon Zapper and they happen to, to notice the unicorn, and they'll have that moment of, oh, hey, that was a thing. Um, and then they got to Elturel. And I have several supplements I'm using to add to Elturel. Um, and I'm following a lot of the advice that uh, Eventyr has in their bundles. I think we talked about how much I I enjoy Eventyr stuff. Um, It's amazing how much like I have been running D&D for a long time. I'm pretty good at looking at the text and looking at what's written there and figuring out what's going to work and how to parse it and how to do it and whatever. And yet I still find oddly so much value in looking at somebody else's analysis of the exact same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing what Evan Tear has to say about uh, about that has been really helpful. And so um, they recommend like don't you know, there's a bunch of random encounters that happen in El as you're traveling from place to place. Uh, their recommendation, which was a good one uh, that I followed, was don't have random encounters like use the random encounters that are there, but like don't make them random. Mm-hmm. Figure out the order and the locations for those encounters that are going to make the most sense for those encounters and to help build the story and the narrative the way you want to. And then I supplemented a bunch of additional encounters from uh, Encounters in Avernus, uh, a product that was done by the the Adepts, including um, James Intercasso at, uh, at the time when he was doing Adept stuff, uh, as well as a product called Helter-El, Uh mm-hmm. and – there was another one um so i've anyway i've got these three different products that all have like extra encounters to throw into various locations in um in avernus when they're there and so i'm like oh well there's some really cool ones here there's some really cool ones there and they would kind of make sense and, t- and mash up well there and whatever so long story short they just got to high hall uh which is like the goal where they've been trying to get to since they got to el Terrell. um they finally just got to the high hall in the last session and it took them three sessions to get there. <laughs> uh, it was a long <laughs> time traveling from uh, where they appeared to there. Because one of the, you know, there was an encounter. Um, I forget which product it was in now. It might have been Helterel. Helterel does like, instead of a bunch of random encounters, it's more of like little set piece locations where there's like little mini dungeon sort of things. And um, one of the ones is the Pair of Black Antlers Tavern, which if you use the, one of the, preview prequel sort of adventures that a lot of people like I don't remember if it was fall I think it was fall of eltrael um then that that camp, that adventure which I did use starts at the pair of black antlers so now you know you were you were in this tavern back in session 0 and now you're back in this tavern you know five levels later and in hell uh, right. And it's been taken over by by Minotaurs uh, who are warring with a bunch of devils, and the Minotaurs work for Baphomet and um, you know they've torn one of the leaders torn the 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 eponymous uh, or titular black antlers off of the wall and like wrapped them onto his own horns and to make himself look more devilish and whatever. But that's like that was an entire session is just going through the the pair of black antlers. I did change the one. Um, wild thing that James did because I think that product is entirely James. Which one one was that? The one wild that's um I think that's Helterell.
1: Okay. Um, I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh the one really wild thing he did in that specific location is uh, you find the room where, where Anthar Froom, one of the, the leaders uh, who's been hanging out and doing stuff and that you met at the beginning, you find his right. room. And if you search the room, you can find his, his sort of horde under the, the floorboards, including a holy Avenger. <laughs> and and <laughs> yep. it's like, that is a campaign changing find randomly in, in this end so I changed it to a, a, a I still wanted to make it powerful so I found a, a very rare holy symbol magic item and then the party was like hey this is really cool but it's but it's a symbol of Torm because he was a follower of Torm and none of us are followers of Torm will give it to, to uh, Raya so now the NPC's right. running around with this, this powerful item that I was trying to give up <laughs> so, right um, and then and now, yeah. So anyway, there was a bunch of fun encounters. There was a there was a a mage that they ran into who, or an art, uh, enchanter who was like building a an invisible bridge to go across the chasm in the middle, so you didn't have to deal with the bridges that are guarded. Uh, and but you know, but you you know, you all have to test it out for me and see if it works. And then of course, it only goes about halfway across. And by the way, you're out in the middle of nowhere on the chasm, so the devils right. on the bridge see you and they come and attack and. Um, you know, I've, I've stolen some monsters from um, Green Ronin's uh, Book of Fiends that they put mm-hmm. out to add some extra. You know, I, I realized after uh, after about two sessions of working my way through Eltarl, I'm like, okay, I think we've seen enough spine devils, barbed devils, and bearded devils at this point because it's just been every encounter is is a bunch of those things. Um, right, and so I, I started supplementing with some some things from Green Ornine's book and um and yeah so anyway i think it's been going well i think it's been fun um i've one of the the thing i really wanted to talk about though um and it was actually the thing i wanted to talk about um two months ago when we last recorded and we didn't have time for it then um, but now i still have at least six minutes plus the two minutes from sam um that i that i can bring up is one of the things I, I, I oftentimes try to do, and Baldur's Gate, it was easy to do this. Even Candlekeep, it was somewhat easy to do this, is is integrate the characters' sort of backstories and, and who they are and the connections they have into the campaign and make those things important. Um, some of that's hard to do because now they're in hell. -hmm. And unless their backstory was I knew somebody who went to hell, or or, you know, or made who made a bad deal with a devil or whatever, um, I'm I'm struggling a little bit with coming up with really good ideas to incorporate their stories into hell. I have one character who will be pretty well incorporated. Um, who is a a dragonborn cleric of Bahamut? I'm like, okay, well that's easy because there's all this Tiamat stuff, right? And and he's got a brother who's a follower of Tiamat, and let's say he's working for Archon, and and I sort of established that back in Baldur's Gate, you know. So that's kind of there, but also, if he's not connected to the story until you know four or five levels from now, that's not very satisfying. <laughs> that's a long wait to to for your story backstory to really matter. Uh, right. and I've, and I've tried to incorporate a little bit of like, well, Torm and Bahamut are, are at, at very least allies, right? Depending on your read of, of realms, lore, uh, deific realms, lore, the Bahamut is sometimes a sub deity under Torm, um, which I'm sure the dragons would take offense at. Um, but I made him sort of a, 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 a low-key ally and so you know when you see all the when you get to the bridge of torm and it's got all the the symbols and the carvings that the players can activate to to help defeat the, the, the devils there or whatever i also let him notice oh but there's also like this underlying previously unnoticed like um homage to to bahamut as well and so i'm just connecting a lot of uh, things to bahamut but um you know boy it's really easy to incorporate you know Followers of Torm, or even followers of Lathander, since Ariel used to be an angel of of Lathander, uh, into that campaign. Right. Finding a way to bring in Bahamut in a way that doesn't feel force fed um, is a little tricky. And then I also have two player or two players who are playing twin Shadarkai, followers of the Raven Queen, which isn't even a realm's god. Um, right. You know. And, and so figuring figuring that out, I've got one character who I've sort of been hinting that is uh, a, a unknown to him was is actually a, a ball spawn, um, which connects into the whole dead three thing at the beginning. But now the dead three kind of disappear once you leave Baldur's Gate, <laughs> um, hmm. you know, uh, and then who else do I have? I've got one
1: who's a Hellrider. Maybe it'd be a fun angle to add into hell that that, you know, the dead three are right. somehow or followers of the dead three are in hell.
0: Well, so one of the um, supplements I'm using, like explicitly talked about that in chapter one, like in the Baldur's Gate encounters, like the dead three kind of disappear from the whole campaign. Let's start laying some groundwork for them to do something else. Right. But then as you go through the rest of the encounters that they that they offer in that supplement, um, even they don't offer more dead three storylines until like the last chapter after you've recovered the the sword. And it's like, well, that is a right. long stretch of time in between for that not to even come up. You know? Yeah. So I I'm working on trying to figure out how to incorporate some more dead three ball stuff into it. I, I did um back when when we were talking curse of strahd one of the suggestions i don't know if it was here or somewhere else that i got was to have strahd show up early um uh, mm-hmm. you know when they first get to the village of barovia strahd needs to like make it his, his first appearance right yeah really it's something i it.
1: recommend yeah
0: yeah and so i i remembered that advice in this case and so like session two of them being in <laughs> in Elturel at the end of session two, the, the cliffhanger I left him with was, and then Zerial appears in the sky above you and it's yeah. a pronouncement to the entire city that they can, they can surrender their souls now and keep right. part of themselves and join. Rejoice. Or else you will lose yourself entirely if you don't surrender and get, to, get right. dragged into the river sticks, you know? Um, so that was fun to bring that in. I, I've also been ta- toying with this idea of, um, What if one of my opening sort of uh, moments is a visit from one of them from the future? But it's like this horrible post-apocalyptic future where they, they technically saved the day, but it all went horribly. Like
1: it's right, can, right they, out of Justice League.
0: Right? Yeah. So, you know, one yep. of the, one of them shows up and, and oh my gosh, it worked. We killed Zariel and we ended up taking over running Avernus and it started this war between us and the other layers of hell. And now the demons are running rampant through the world because there's no one here to stop them, and it's all horrible. You have to find another path and then just leave it and you know, and then they fade away and disappear because of course now the timeline has changed
1: yeah that's cool
0: so I've, but but none of that talks about my previous my original question of like how do i incorporate more of their story into a place where none of the, the npcs in their backgrounds are,
2: are there because they're in hell now you can that's a hard, that's hard okay but maybe you could do something like um have have them see things related to their backgrounds and their secrets and whatnot in their dreams Right. Or you could have a a vignette um, of them just, you know, again, it kind of it's also that same thing uh, that Mike was talking about earlier of as they're getting to know each other when they're traveling from one place to another, you can actually like have them like reminiscing about something that happened in the past, but that's related to their background. Right. And somehow make the lesson learned from that event or the or the the relate lesson learned from that relationship or whatever it was be applicable to some encounter that they then meet in the next session or two like that it's really tough right it's really hard because
0: and and in some to some degree like there's some of it that's easier because they're an alterel like i two of the characters are from alterel oh well you know these these uh, survivors that you've rescued and have taken with you to, to the high hall. They used to be your neighbors across the street, these dwarves that you used to hang out with, right? Uh, or, or you know, oh, you used to come here with your family when you were training to be a right. You know, so I can I can tie in stuff with them. It's easier in El but with the other characters, it's harder in El because they're not from there. Some of them aren't even from this plane or any plane that recognizes the existence of yeah. the realm's gods. Um, you know, um yeah, so yeah. that's why I say like dreams dreams and vignettes right. like you know Well there's there's are there's so many visions and dreams and things um ongoing anyway because one of them has the shield of the hidden lord, so there's this voice constantly talking to to him there. And then I um I I'm doing the the group patron. I think I mentioned my my brilliant idea for a group patron. That we'll see how it goes. That only goes by the name the betrayed and is actually the entity inside the companion. Only it's not a an angel. It is Kaz. Uh, Kaz the destroyer, Kaz the Bloody Handed, who who really just wants to bring them there so that they will cut that damn hand off of Archon and, and they can destroy <laughs> the, the hand of Vecna because screw that guy. Um and then and then of course if if we if we decide to keep going after the normal campaign is done I've got this this third act in my back pocket of okay well the betrayed is going after Vecna. Let's play out that campaign. What does that look like when you're when your patron decides to go bug nutty uh and and chase down a god So anyway, yeah, no crazy stuff. Yeah. And and, and there's a lot of stuff going on that should should all be fun. I'm just there's a handful of characters, especially right now that I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate more of their stuff into it. Um, And then there's a and then once they get out of Elteral, the characters I'm worried about are going to flip. The ones that are currently easy are going to get hard and the ones that are currently hard are going to get a little easier because I could be like, well, tell me, you know, this random soul that you that you knew back in life is now trapped in this soul coin that you have, and we can incorporate things like that uh, at some point. But anyway, my time is up, um, and I've rambled enough, so.
2: <laughs> I wish I had better advice. Like, it's just, that is really tough. That particular thing is really mm-hmm. tough. Um, that's one thing, as much as we can complain about Frostmaiden, Maiden. One thing it had that was nice was the secrets. If you were able to provide choices to your players about which secrets, I don't recommend doing it the way it suggests, which is just have them draw randomly. Screw that. Pick some that you think you can work into the game and give the players a choice of two or three and then... But yeah. the majority of those those secrets were easy to work in and easy to sort of lean on during that game. Um, not all of them were equally so, but, yeah. so that's actually, one thing and I can imagine in in Avernus like, okay, now you're in hell. Well, well
0: and and Aver- descended to Avernus builds in, it was before they did uh, uh, Frostman, mm-hmm. they did the dark secrets in, in Avernus, but right. the dark secret there really ties them to Baldur's Gate and doesn't Play out, you know. In their case, it right. was um, they murdered a, a baker, um, you know, who who now has come back to life as a revenant and is hunting them down. And and you know, we had a ton of fun because it's a revenant, right? So they they defeat her, they kill her. It's a hard fight, especially at the beginning. They're level two or whatever the first time they encountered her, and and revenants are like CR five or whatever. Um, but they they beat her, and then she comes back two days later. Right. So she comes back two days later and they beat her again. Uh, and then she comes back two days later and they beat her again. And it just goes over and over and over again. Um, and they never really did quite figure out what she is. Um, but they were getting annoyed with her constantly showing up, but in a kind of fun and entertaining way. Um, and then I had this 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 moment. So one of the players... Through his connections with the betrayed, because that's one of the advantages of having a group patron, is they can at least this one can get you stuff, right? Their network can get you stuff. He was looking for something that could actually hurt the devils. And so he got a hell-forged uh glaive, because he's a glaive, he's a polearm fighter. <laughs> uh he cool. gets a hellforged glaive. So that a hellforged glaive, if if you do the killing blow, their soul goes to hell. And then on one of their fights with her, uh the Revenant Baker, he's the one who got the killing blow. And I'm like, oh. That'll be perfect because now I can have her just not show up because her soul's in hell and then she'll continue to haunt them when they get to Avertis. That'll be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and then I forgot that uh, that was my idea and I had her show up in the encounter in the forest with the unicorn on the, when they were trying to get there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, what did do I do? <laughs> so now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half toying with, well, you know, the – the the pro you know the being a revenant kind of anchored her soul to this place because that's where her her targets are, Um and so the process of killing her with the hell forged glaive maybe like tore her soul in half and now it's tortured and Mad Maggie has it in in knucklebone right. Fort knucklebone or whatever and and she's there. You know, in constant screaming pain and and what have you, because her soul's been torn in half. I thought about adding her on one of the spikes in Harriman's Hill, but then I remember that those are all supposed to be Hellriders. So, um, and she's definitely not a Rider. She was part of the Thieves Guild. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, I've continued to ramble long after I said that I was, I needed to stop rambling and, and move on. So <laughs> So true to form, right? Uh, Okay, so we're going to go ahead and call that the end of Behind the DM Screen for October of 2022. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, uh, Sam and Mike. Uh, And you can join us hopefully next month where we'll record another one. Say goodbye, guys. Good Good night. Good night.